This episode comes with a content warning, sexual assault, racism, and childhood trauma. Please take care and listen to your body as you proceed. Last week, Chris Campbell shared part of his story with us, what it was like for him to grow up as a mixed-race Native American, moving into embracing his identity, and unpacking some of the truth behind our nation's history. This week, join us as we chat more about political perspectives, voting as an expat, and just how far we'd each be willing to go to provide for our own kids. I'm your host, Joy Dertinger, and this is 99 Lead Balloons. Episode 4, Embracing Indigenous Identity, Part 2. Oh, absolutely. And actually, that's that was going to be the next thing that I brought up was like, there is a moral obligation to vote in this election. There really and truly is. Um, and it can impact so many people in in such huge ways like you mentioned and i think something that i mean i'm also struggling with it in the in the same way that you um described because of the tara reed allegations initially um and i legitimately thought okay yeah we're we're about believing women i'm about believing women because i'm a survivor too so I am all the way here for for believing women. Um, And I remember thinking to myself, okay, but is is that going to be the the abortion thing for for me? Is that going to be like the single issue that causes me to turn a blind eye to the reality of the harm that that could befall you know, millions of other people, um, if I don't take a wider, you know, a wider perspective of this. And so I started thinking about, well, what would this be like for other people? What would this be like for, um, for other communities that are not like me? And, um, and thinking like, well, maybe I ought to just, you know, sort of like take one for the team, and I hate this and it doesn't mean that I like him or that I think he is, um, you know, morally good or, or whatever, but it's possible that, that good could be done for other people groups. And so maybe I need to just suck it up and vote for the guy and just do it. And then he said such horrible, stupid things about the black community specifically when he was um, talking with Charlemagne the God. And I was like, what? And then taking the time to go back, right? And look at like his track record throughout history, his history and politics and going like, oh, this is like not even the first or worst thing that he's said or done. Yeah. Um, And then coming to that same conclusion, like of, well, lack of conclusion really of, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Because how, which thing am I, which thing is better to vote for? And the only thing that I'm, 
that I'm still sort of trying to wrap my mind around is which one is malleable, which one will mm. respond to pressure. And is that a good enough reason? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I also think like when you look at candidates as old as the current ones are, yeah. obviously a vice president does play a big role. Mm. Um, so I think it, it might be easier to make a very difficult choice by supporting Biden, um, depending on who his vice president nomination is. Um, but I suppose the way I look at it at the moment is uh, is similar to the, I suppose, uh, a number of situations I've encountered over the years um, in trying to make money to be able to pay my rent <laughs> and have food for my kids. Yeah. Like, I, I've been homeless. I've gone hungry for days and weeks on end. I know what that's. I know what that is like, mm -hmm. and that is an experience I would, if my children ever experienced that, I, whether it's right or not that I feel this way, I would feel like I am my mother. Mm -hmm. I am my father. I'm, I'm no better than them. I, I've, I've made, you know, just as bad of choices because look, like I'm in that same situation. And I, I know that actually there are a lot of reasons why a family could become homeless or could be struggling to have food to eat. And mm -hmm. it's not actually, um, you know, the fault of the parents uh, in many cases. But when I look at that situation, like for me, that's like my worst nightmare. Yeah. It's like all of my insecurities wrapped up into one. And when when I look at situations where I have been forced to choose between my principles or risk this thing that to me is is horrific, um, you know, the idea of my children having to, you know, have no place to sleep or no food to eat mm -hmm. every time I've been in that situation, which it, fortunately has only been like two times. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> one was uh, I was working at this job and they asked me to do something illegal. And without thinking, I announced very loudly, I'm a very loud person, listeners. Um, <laughs> I announced very loudly in an open office with 60 other employees, well, I would never do that. That's illegal. <gasps> and the boss said, no, it's not. And I said, yes, it is. Mm. I'll show you. And then Googled it and pointed out exactly how it was illegal. And then literally the next day was told, oh, you know, we've had budget changes. And oh, so no. we're actually going to have to make you redundant. <gasps> we're, we're getting rid of your position entirely. And oh, my in gosh. that moment, even though like I was, you know, I was super principled <laughs> when it came to my principles, mm -hmm. such that I didn't even have any thought of like actually following through. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly when I was facing wow, I'm not going to have a job. How am I going to feed my kids? Mm. Literally, I was just like, I'm begging you, please let me work another week. Like, please, mm. like I will get on my knees and like I'm literally begging. Mm -hmm. Please, please, please let me stay at least one more week. Yeah. And they wouldn't let me. Mm. Um, and there was one other time when a uh, similar situation where, you know, um, there, there, this time there was just genuinely like a change in the business and I, I was let go um, last minute because they didn't have a marketing budget anymore and I again I was just like please I'm begging you please 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 mm -hmm. like 
I need this money to be able to pay for food for my kids. Like, please let me work. And, you know, that time <laughs> they were very kind and they did let me, um, mm. even though it was a stretch for that business. Um, but when I look at this, I'm just like, yeah, I feel like I'm faced with that same sort of position when it's like looking at other people who aren't my kids who are going to be put in that same situation that like I'm terrified of my kids ever being put in yeah. and thinking, well, yeah, like shouldn't I be willing to just compromise my principles and my values in the same way for them? Shouldn't I be willing to like humble myself, debase myself, whatever it takes to, to help them? Mm-hmm. And in many ways, I feel yes, but in other ways, I'm just like, but if generations and generations of people who are sort of, who know what's right, but are just afraid of the suffering that will come if they pursue what's right, like, at, at what point will society just be like, well, no one will ever resist now, mm-hmm. and, like, everyone has just sort of, I suppose, bowed the knee over and over and over to the point where it's just like assumed that we're going to keep doing it, whether the system works for us or not. Like at some point you have to be willing to stand up and you have to be willing to say, you know what, beat me, shoot me, kill me, whatever. Like this is not right. And I will not stand for it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very difficult for me, especially being so far away and yet feeling so present like how can i how can i discern which of those is what is is required right now and i think that's why i'm trying to at the moment just keep an open mind about something even though this is something i feel very strongly that i should never vote for joe biden Mm. i'm i'm still like entertaining that thought and i'm just trying to ask different perspectives and listen to people and and hope that you know even if it turns out that it's like yeah all right let me humble myself and just like put my values to one side and and say you know what yes i will do this in the name of you know saving people that i care about Mm -hmm. um even if it's not individuals that i know personally uh people groups that i care about then you know i don't know i just i hope it becomes clear yeah yeah but i'm just trying to stay open to um either possibility because right now all of the evidence and all of my guts and all of my principles are leaning me towards like no you could never possibly vote for biden Mm. and i just i don't want to i don't want to spend another four years watching people you know be put in cages be put in prisons to die from you know, sickness and all all sorts of other things that, you know, could be prevented with just like a couple of policy changes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, I don't know, like you've mentioned, like the principles and the morality of the situation. And yeah, there are a lot of people who could be saved by just a couple of policy changes. Um, I th- And you talked about uh, how you've done a write-in in the past. I've also voted a write-in in the last election. I voted a write-in. And then retrospectively went like, ah, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. And yet here I am considering it again. 
because it's so so confusing um and so frustrating and i wonder if you've heard of mark charles who's running as an independent candidate okay um mark charles is a dual citizen of the u.s and the navajo nation and he's running as an independent candidate for pres for the presidency and i think it's like i i literally found him on twitter like i just happened upon him um because of other people that i follow on twitter and i thought like oh wait a minute we have we have a member of the navajo nation you know running for that office and i don't think and like i don't care if he's independent i don't care what party somebody is that's like pretty earth shattering for the u.s and i don't think i've ever heard anyone talking about that no major print media no major like televised news outlets nothing i have not heard of it, heard of him at all until the last couple of months and happened upon him on twitter and i think that i started following him because i was like well this is interesting what's going on here and wanting to to learn more about like what is his perspective um and it's been really really fascinating because some of the things that that mark charles is advocating for are things that you know line aligned in my opinion some things aligned fairly well with bernie sanders um and other things are things where he's like no you're all wrong we should do it this way um and um and i think like well that's not something that i'd ever even considered that that was possible or that that was something that might work um on a structural level and he in in a lot of ways he represents what i would love to see happening like he wants to like this is small potatoes maybe but it affects a lot of people he wants to save the postal service you know he's like oh well he tweeted um yesterday if only there was a way to allocate additional funding to the u.s postal service oh wait there is and you know kind of um following along and thinking like what would it be like right to write in a candidate like mark charles um but also knowing that he's probably vastly undersupported, and yet this is historical this is groundbreaking for our election cycles that there is a an indigenous person running you know for president of the united states and what kind of things could that change um and then i hear from a lot of people about like well i don't know if the u.s is quote ready for that a lot of people like seem to say things like well i don't know if the u.s is ready for uh, a woman to be president or i don't know if the u.s is ready for a person of color to be president and i'm like why 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 are we not ready like what is um and it makes me think of nina simone's song mississippi goddamn when she when she says everybody keeps saying go slow and um ultimately look at where it's gotten us like it hasn't really gotten us much of anywhere so within all of all of that being said obviously you know who you are and your experiences influence how you vote and you've talked a little bit about your politics and how they've some of them have you know remained similar i'm guessing but it sounds like some of them have also changed over the years what are some things that you would say have changed over the years yeah absolutely so i would say um growing up uh i was just so purely apathetic about politics mm -hmm. that the only thing I really knew to talk about would just be um, my mom's long-term boyfriend loved to uh, 
make really crass jokes about the most popular politicians. Mm. I think mostly because a lot of shock jocks do that, like yeah. on the radio. Um, and he was like a manual laborer. Um, and so he would listen to the radio all day. Mm. And so it was one of those things where like, that was my literal only like connection with politics. So I'd be like, oh yeah, I know all of the jokes about mm. the politicians. I don't really know why they make sense, but <laughs> I know that this is funny if if you know about them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that transitioned um, in sort of like my late teens. Um, uh, I became a Christian in this small town in Nebraska, like literally 5,000 people. They expand the city limits every year just to like hold on to being a town. Um, and it was really interesting because even though um, I grew up in a, a very non-traditional religious home in that like uh apparently my mom's side of the family uh especially my grandma um actually there was uh, a lot of satanists mm. um like very devout satanists and i don't know anything about satanism yeah. um but i found out when my grandma died that like that was her thing mm. because they went through all of her belongings and they were like oh grandma was too yeah so was this person and this person and this person and you're just like oh okay yeah wow well i never knew that yeah Um, but then my mom had a lot of influence from that and had interacted with a lot of um abuse around some of that as well Mm -hmm. um but then my mom was also like super new age mysticism like can you feel me thinking about you Mm -hmm. so i had like really weird ideas about religion um but like I had been in and around a lot of Christian churches because one of the sort of cons that my mom would do for money is she would um, go to churches and say, oh, I'm a single mother and I've got three children and I can't pay my electricity and I can't buy food and all of this stuff. And churches would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll pay for all that. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure you're set up. But have you heard the good news about Jesus Christ? Mm. Do you know the Lord? Yeah. And my mom would be like, well, I do. I'm a Christian. And my two younger boys, they love hearing their Bible stories. But my oldest son, Chris, his heart is so hard. He needs someone to speak the truth into his life. And so I became the scapegoat. And so literally I heard, quote unquote, the gospel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before the age of, you know, sort of 14, 15. Right. Um, But so many of those presentations were super hateful. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so it gave me like one idea of, you know, what it meant to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. which was like, oh, yeah, well, you don't really have any problems, which is why you believe that this like fictitious sky fairy can fix all of them for you. Because like you have food, you have clothes, you have a place to live. The only problems you have are like what normal people don't really class as problems. It's more just like family drama on like an extended scale. Right. Um, um, (laughs) But anyway, uh, we moved to this small town, Nebraska, and uh, I I met some people at a Christian church who, um, 
they knew that I was outspokenly atheist. Mm-hmm. They knew that I was really aggressive um, towards Christianity. And they were like, hey, that's cool. Like, you can still come to our house, play with our kids, be, you know, friends with them. Um, and, like, you don't have to pray at meals. You don't have to do anything. We're not going to mm-hmm. tell you about the gospel. And it was really interesting because I ended up spending, like, three or four months at their house sort of every day but Sunday. Um, and they just authentically, like, really loved me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time in my life I had I had seen people that did love each other. It sounds really silly. And no, I don't want to, like, get derailed on this too much. But um, for me, like, I honestly thought before that that, like, love was just a literary device. Mm. Um, I thought, like, well, there's sex and there's obligation but that's all like no one actually loves each other. It's all just people doing what they need to get what they want from the people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this family, just like no motivation, no agenda. They just like really loved me mm-hmm. when I was there and it, it had a big impact on me. Um, and eventually after, you know, a while I ended up becoming a, a Christian and I just assumed right away that, Oh, Christians are Republicans, right? Hmm. And so then when I turned uh, 16, um, which was like literally like a month after I became a Christian, um, I was able to register to vote. And I was just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm supposed to register as Republican, right? Mm. And that's what I did. I registered as a Republican, Mm -hmm. not because I knew anything about politics, but because I knew that culturally, okay, well, if you are a Christian, um, that's just what you're going to be. And then it wasn't until, um, again, like I was at university when Obama was running, when I was able to sort of think about things more clearly. And I was just like, oh, wait, but I could never support any of these Republicans. Like, they're all really hateful individuals, and they seem to just, like, look at the poor or the disenfranchised or the oppressed and just be like, hey, scumbags, you did that to yourself. Why don't you just stop sucking and start winning more? And then, like, when Donald Trump came around, he's like, I'm the best. All I do is win. Oh, my gosh. winning all the time. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, this doesn't feel that different, except this guy's, like, like an overt douche about it. Um and so I don't know. Basically, <laughs> I think I probably always leaned more towards liberal and social policies, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't have a I didn't have a category for it. I didn't have yeah. a name for it. Yeah. It sounds really dumb. No, it um, doesn't. But because like my family was just so apolitical, um, that's what it was. And as the years have gone on, um, I've just become more and more, I suppose, left leaning, more and more liberal. Um, there are. A lot of issues that, yeah, I just look at completely differently now. Like, Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, I talked about abortion earlier and how when Obama was first running, that was like a sticking point for me. Um, And at the time, my stance was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's terrible. Um, And I will say that I understand why people would say that's terrible. And I understand it probably better than most because, um, like, I actually gave my mom an abortion when mm-hmm. I was a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, we were homeless and she was pregnant and we already, there were four of us and she just said, 
Chris, I want you to punch me in the stomach as hard as you can because I've tried aborting the baby all these other ways and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to be able to go to like a planned parenting sort of thing. So like, yeah, I need you to punch me as hard as you can. And, you know, she just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And eventually I did. I hit her as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. And like at the time I was like 14, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 14 it would have been. Um and like I was filling out and so like I was a pretty strong kid and mm-hmm. like I hit her as hard as I could mm-hmm. and like she immediately dropped and it's so dumb because again coping mechanisms but I never made a connection with any of this so I knew I did that right. and when I did that she dropped to her knees and she just said thank you and then like I walked away mm-hmm. because I didn't see blood or a baby come out of her vagina right then and there mm-hmm. I was like you stupid mom you tried to trick me into doing a horrible thing and it didn't even work serves you right Mm. you got punched in the stomach and nothing bad happened Mm. but what i did not put together until literally like oh gosh would have been seven years later was the fact that um eight weeks after that Um, Even though we were still homeless, my mom had to be rushed to the emergency room and she gave birth to a stillborn fetus that had been Mm. dead for eight weeks Mm. and they said died from blunt force trauma. Mm. And at the time, my mom was, and there were a lot of health problems that came with this. She had to have a few operations. I don't really understand fully why I'm not an expert in that field, but apparently like there was a lot of damage that was done as a result of that. Um, And at the time... You know, there were all of us waiting in this hospital, um, like, you know, waiting area. But she didn't ask to speak to her long-term boyfriend or, you know, any of the other kids. She asked me to come in. And so I go into this, like, hospital room where she is. And she's, like, crying. And she's like, well, you know, they're going to have to do these surgeries and stuff. Um And she just, like, she was telling it to me, like, I had some responsibility in it, and I just did not know what she was saying. Mm. Um, I didn't put it together until literally, like, I was flirting with this girl (laughs) at college, and we were going back and forth, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I'm going to get really deep. What's the worst thing you've ever done? And Mm. then, like, she told me, and then she asked me, and I was like, what is the worst thing I've ever done? And then I was like, well, there was that time I hit my mom, but, whew, good thing nothing ever happened because of that. Mm. And then I'm like oh gosh wait no there's two stories they're they're completely kind of oh no Mm. and that's when i realized and so like this is an issue that like i feel very personally because um you know when you believe life begins or doesn't begin um like lots of people have different opinions on that and my learning and understanding has definitely um you know, grown and fluctuated on that over the years Uh, but what i think is more important is This idea that if you want to see less abortions in the world, um, if you think that abortion isn't ideal, then, you know, what things can you do to have less abortions in the world? Um, And to be honest, all of the Republican Party is just like, oh, make abortions illegal, like restrict access to education, restrict access to health care. And birth control. Access all these things. And then you read studies and you see what experts say and you're like, oh, so you're saying in places where they've done this, actually abortions increase, but they're more dangerous, not only for, you know, the fetus, 
um, but also for the mother. Yeah. And also, like, it's operating on this really unhealthy, disgusting, like, shame-based system. And it's just sort of like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to say that I don't care what your position on abortion is, but I just want to say that if you are truly like wanting everyone to have the best lives possible, then you want women to have good sex education. You want women to have access to abortions. You want women to have access to sexual health and well-being, and you want them to be empowered um, about their own bodies, but also their their social situations, also mm-hmm. their you know employment perspectives. Like, yeah. there's so much that goes into looking at why people choose to abort a pregnancy, and so much of why they why people often do that seems to be wrapped up in issues that could be easily solved through again just policy change Mm -hmm. and the policy change where that you know is being spoken about more and more um seems again like mostly on the democrat side and so even though there's a lot of stuff about the democratic party i don't like there's definitely a lot of like old boys club favoritism a lot of like you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, mm-hmm. say no more. Yep. Like, we're just going to try to forget about this. Um, that's the side that, like, I have to side with because they're the side that is fighting for compassion and justice. And even if that's only on a, a smaller scale than I would like, um, they, they are fighting for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to let something um, as misguided as, you know, uh, abortion be a sticking point for me. And, yeah. and I know... There are a lot of people who hear that and they're like, oh, you're the worst person ever. Not Hmm. only did you kill a baby, but also you're helping other babies be killed. You bastard. (laughs) And like, you know what? If you want to think that, like, you can totally think that. Um, I know. (laughs) I suppose I I have a tiny insight into what it must feel like to be a woman and to, uh, you know, choose to have an abortion. Um, Because even though it wasn't my body, it wasn't my fetus. Um, and in some ways, I guess it wasn't even my choice. Like I, I was the instrument of an abortion (laughs) that took place. And so I do feel like this is something that I probably have deeper feels about than someone who is only thinking about this from like a purely like, well, this is what the Bible says perspective. Sure. And I don't, and maybe that's maybe that's not true, uh, and hmm. my, I don't know. But anyway, we got si- sort of sidelined there. But no, you're fine. Yeah, I would say over over time, my politics have definitely just moved further and further left, and it'll be really interesting to see where they go in the next twenty years. Because I'm like, how much further left can I go? Yeah. <laughs> um, am I playing like political limbo? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. How left can I go? <laughs> that's great. Uh. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that that's one thing that over time changed for me as well. Uh, I remember being um, younger and like very similar to what you said, uh, thinking like, well, the Christian party is the Republican party and that's the way it is. And so I registered as Republican as well. And I was, um, conversely, my family was extremely political. Everything was political. 
my, you know, grandparents, my parents, everybody was always talking politics all the flipping time. And it was always Republicans are the good guys. Democrats are the bad guys. And it wasn't it wasn't always framed around abortion, but a lot of the time it was. Um, I remember like being forced to watch really graphic videos of abortions um, when I was a child to like hammer somehow hammer home that like abortions are bad. And that was horrible. It was, it was just incredibly traumatizing. Um, You know, and some people might hear that and say like, well, see, abortion is bad. You just saw one happen and it traumatized you and it didn't, you know, and you're not, you weren't the person who did it and you're not the person who experienced it and you're not the fetus. So if it was traumatizing to watch, then, you know, all of these things, but what it really did was um, it just was like incredibly painful to witness over and over and over again. And it made me go like, if somebody, you know, over, I was, I was, let me first say, I was extremely against abortion, like very, very strongly against it and thought, uh, you know, I followed all of the typical Republican religious um, narrative that this is why people get abortions over and over again, just really bought into that. And then uh, when I was 21, um, I became pregnant with my first child and it was unplanned. Um, We were married, but we had other plans for our life. And we were like, we're, you know, I had to go on my internship, um, which was supposed to be outside the country. and I was supposed to be living among, um, you know, uh, tribes in Papua New Guinea. And I was supposed to do all of these other things. And that got derailed because I was pregnant. Um, graduation got pushed out because I was pregnant and all of these things. And I thought, like, I'm extremely happy to be having a baby, but this is not the right time. And I can't afford a baby and I can't feed a baby. And how am I supposed to do any of this? We live in a tiny studio apartment in Chicago. How am I supposed to make any of this work? Um, this was not in the plan. And um, I think that was the first moment that I had an inkling of like how panicked a woman could be, right? And then I, over time, you know, I had my baby. And um, then like, because of having this new child, um, it was sort of this experience that like, it like caused me to revert back to like abortion is bad because I had this baby and um, we had an incredibly traumatic delivery and she almost died. And so then it was this like, I can't imagine what would ha- what would have happened, what how horrible that would have been. And so then I swung the pendulum back, you know, into the other direction. And as time went on more and more, Um, I came into contact with more and more people who, like you're describing, were unable to provide for any children that they already had if they had children or would be unable to provide for a child that they would, you know, if they had a child um, or they were in abusive situations, um, you know, so many different situations that would lead a person to to say, like, I can't do this. And so then as time went on, I thought like, well, what are the reasons that women have abortions? Like, what is the deal? Um, Like the main factor. And like ultimately one of the biggest uh, common threads is inability to provide. I can't 
pay my bills. I can't keep a roof over my head. I can't feed this child. I can't even feed myself. How am I? I'm not going to be able to buy diapers. I'm not going to be able to buy formula or, you know, whatever else they might need. Um, and looking at that and then saying like, oh, oh, well, if that's why people are getting abortions, then why don't we just feed them? Why don't we just pay their bills? Why don't we just give them housing? Why don't we take care of diapers and formula and their medical costs and whatever? Because if we're really against those things, why aren't we proactively um, addressing this instead of reactively? You know, instead of reacting to it, why aren't we being proactive in our approach to it? And that was, I think, a time when I really shifted because I tried to um, speak to a couple of different people who had um, a considerable amount of influence in our community. Like, hey, what if we sort of like put together this thing and we could advertise it as like, oh, it's for women who are pregnant and they don't know what to do. And so it's different from a crisis pregnancy center, but we're also meeting their needs in a really practical way long-term. And, um, it met, I, I was met with a lot of pushback and people were like, well, how are you going to make sure that nobody's taking advantage of the system? And I was like, I don't think anybody is, who's going to show up asking for formula and diapers when they don't need it, you know? Um, and it never, I was never able to get, gain any traction at the time. I was also pregnant with another child. Um, and so it just sort of like the, the whole idea just sort of died there. Um, as far as doing anything in our community because I couldn't gain any traction or support. Um, but it didn't die in like terms of, you know, thinking about it and having it affect the way that I um, interacted with politics and things like that. And it vastly changed my perspective when I learned that Republicans were against most social service programs like SNAP, WIC, Medicaid, um, <laughs> you know, uh, any kind of um, housing initiatives, anything at all that would lift people out of poverty. And I thought, well, that's so strange because I was always taught the Republicans were the good guys. And um, that was really the, the thing that continued to radicalize me, so to speak. <laughs> um, and over time, it's just become more and more, like you said, it's like, how far left can I get? Because it seems to be the thing that's addressing these issues. Um, and it seems to be the, the side of things that is maybe not completely honest, right? Maybe not completely genuine about what is actually happening, but it's closer to that. Yeah. Like, it's still politics, but they feel like at least they're human beings. Yeah. And, and, like, I'm not saying Republicans aren't human beings. I'm just saying sometimes, like, they can come across as so heartless. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's really striking to me. And to be honest, um, a lot of that comes from the Christian church. A mm-hmm. lot of that comes from, uh, quote-unquote, evangelicalism. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people who, um, I don't want to speak for you, but definitely myself, um, would have been like, yes, I'm evangelical. Yes, I'm a Christian in the American Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now, again, just like I can't really associate with the evangelical church whatsoever um, because, you know, the more that I looked at it, the more I'm like, same as you, wait, like 
all these guys are sort of like arguing for the people who are doing all the the bad stuff and they're not caring stuff and they're not really willing to fix any of the problems that seem to be causing all the issues they they say they care about Mm. and then you know, the more that I started talking like you about all those different things, it was like, well, couldn't couldn't we do this? Or what about that? Or, you know, what about this social position? And everyone would just be like, no, no, mm. that's bad. Mm-hmm. Chris, you've been in the UK for too long. <laughs> you've been corrupted by their socialism. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, yeah, literally, like, one of... So one of my best friends at Moody, I went to his house... Um, because uh, there was a wedding. His sister was getting married, and mm-hmm. I stayed over at their house. And I had met his mom and dad loads of times before. Yeah. Um, and, like, honestly, I kind of idolized this this friend. Mm-hmm. And um, his mom asked me my life story, and I sort of told her, um, which uh, part of, uh, I suppose, my story is, um, when I was 16, my mom left me. And mm-hmm. so um, I obviously my dad was murdered but then my mom also abandoned me when i was 16 mm-hmm. um and sort of at that point in my story when i'm telling her that she's like chris you know what you're an honorary and like said her last name mm-hmm. and the husband was there too and he was like yeah of course like you're one of us like you'll always be one of us mm-hmm. and then i remember uh i got into a conversation about um basically systemic racism uh in the run-up to uh you know the election where trump became president mm-hmm. um with with the dad mm-hmm. and he said we've been working with the black community for years and they're all just lazy <gasps> they all just lie mm-hmm. they all just take advantage of any government systems they get and then they spend it on alcohol and what? drugs what? and prostitutes and they just let their kids go hungry, Ugh. and it's because they're just lazy and don't do anything. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, I am a million percent against everything you just said. Right. Please take it back and give me some reason to believe that you're, like, a good human being. Mm. And he basically at that point was just like, you know, Chris, I've been so suspicious of you being in the UK for so long, and now this just confirms that you've been brainwashed. What? You're nothing but a filthy liberal. <gasps> and just, like, starts spewing all this, like, harsh, horrible stuff. And I'm like you're someone who told me I could be an honorary member of your family forever. Mm. And all I did was say, I grew up just like the people you're describing, just as poor, receiving the same government benefits. And what you're saying isn't true. Mm. Like, that's just not the case for everyone who gets that. And he just at that point, took that as a an excuse to be like well that's fine <laughs> i now have all the permission in the world that i need to uh, attack chris um this person who's looking up to me um in these terrible ways mm. and that's just sort of been my experience over and over again and so it's like oh wow well, this is weird because you know the evangelical churches wholesale um getting behind trump um and supporting him in the face of everything just yeah. mind-boggling stuff i'm like well i could never call myself an evangelical but mm. then to be honest like most christian churches even the ones that aren't evangelical like 
don't really align themselves along the the bounds of like social justice or racial justice in ways that I am. And so I'm just like, I don't know, like, I still believe in God, Mm -hmm. but like, how can, you know, the expression of, uh, you know, the church of God today be like, oh, abortion's terrible. Mm. Oh, but you remember that story in the Old Testament where God says to go into the city and kill everyone and to cut open the pregnant women's bellies and Mm. dash their babies against the rocks? And Mm -hmm. you're just like, wait, what now? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've got some serious things to think through and so to be honest like it's not just politics it's not just ethnic identity like there's even like the whole idea of like spirituality right now is just really a hard thing to justify because i think intersectionality is considered a buzzword by many but really Mm -hmm. like it's the confluence of all these different things coming together Mm -hmm. and and seeing like all of the crossover and realizing oh man well i don't know about that because of all of these other things that I do know about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the real difficulty for me in this election and looking at the government and looking for any sort of hope or change, whether that's, you know, right now or in a thousand years, is it's like, I feel like I'm just left questioning absolutely everything yeah. because the only things that I'm convinced of, that I am sure of, is that, systems are desperately broken and they've been broken on purpose to benefit white people mm-hmm. and and that's not something that's happened just with this current generation it's built up over thousands and thousands of years but like how is that system ever going to change when it has like infected everything unless something massive happens. And I don't know what that something massive would be. And so I am encouraged by how many people are having conversations around this, how many people are speaking out about this. Uh, And again, like, I'm not saying I'm the most educated about this. There are many people much more, um, you know, studied and well-versed in these things than I am. And I'm constantly, you know, reading, listening, um, trying to grow and learn in in all of this. Mm -hmm. But I just think that the whole state of the world is just, it's really, really fucked up. <laughs> and, and we're all just sitting here going like, how do we make it better? Mm. And I feel like one side of people is saying, okay, well, we make it better, but just making it the way it's always been. <laughs> and I feel like I'm on a different side going, well, there's no way that will work. Yeah. What else can we try? <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I think it applies here, is, like, this massive overhaul of, you know, systemic change. And, um, and like, that it seems as though nothing short of a revolution is going to affect anything because these systems are... It's, it's something that, like, for a long time I didn't realize that it's not that the systems are broken. They were built this way. And that they were designed this way and they're operating and functioning exactly as they were designed. Um, And so how are you supposed to bring about change when the system is running like a well-oiled machine? It's not broken. Um, And so talking about things like revolution, 
you know, like you said, lots of people might say, oh my gosh, that's so extreme. But I think it's fascinating that like those people who say it's so extreme, um, how many revolutions do you know of that were actually successful? And I'm like, well, gosh, I don't know the one where like, here we are in the United States and like, as call me crazy, but I think there's yeah. this thing in our history called the Revolutionary War. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, and, and in other cultures too, and in other countries too, even like the U.S. has played a major hand in overthrowing and toppling governments and systems in so many countries around the world that we consistently and repetitively do that. And we're even obsessed with that story um, in our entertainment. You mentioned Star Trek. Um, there's Star Trek, there's Star Wars, there's the Hunger Games. There are so many different stories that describe like, yeah, revolution and yeah, let's topple the government. And, you know, it's there's corruption and all of these different things. And instead of changing it by voting, we're just going to go to war and we're going to, you know, and we always root for the underdog in in any of those films or um, or shows or whatever, how often do we actually root for the government to win? Like, pretty much never. Um, and yeah. so why is it so beyond the pale and out of scope for us to think about our system that is essentially doing all of the things that the government does in, you know, in those um, forms of entertainment that we love to consume? Why is it so different right now? Um, and the only thing I can think of is profit. Mm. The only other thing I can think of is branding. Mm. Like the church and the founding fathers branded America as like the symbol for freedom and liberation. Yeah. And it, even just the idea of like manifest destiny, mm. like go take over the land. This is what you were called to do. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, how many hundreds of years can you tell somebody that it's like God's will, that they take over all of the land, mm -hmm. that they become the supreme like rulership over uh, a, a nation? Yeah. And then how often, you know, does that get reinforced when, like you said, the U.S. goes outside its own borders and mm -hmm. then starts policing the world? Yeah. And the church is like, yes, 100 percent on board. Mm. Yes. Like, keep going. Keep going. It's like nothing short of a theocracy will satisfy capitalism and the church and the American churches like mm -hmm. thirst for power, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. I had not considered it in that way, but you're right. Like there's so much about that. That's just like the, what we consume, like the way that it's branded that we're like, yeah, absolutely. Like freedom and power and you know, all of these things. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, a really good point. Um, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> uh, gosh, so within this conversation, I think that ultimately what we're, what we're really gearing up to ask ourselves is what's ethical and what's moral in this particular situation. And I mean, for you, what is it? I can vote in, in small elections, which is something that like I consistently advocate for. Like people need to know that like, hey, coroner is an elected position. Sheriff is an elected position. There are judges, you know, all of these different things. These are elected positions and you need, you know, comptroller. All the quote boring things 
that we don't really know what those people do. We need to find out what they do. We need to find out what their positions are. And then we need to vote in those elections because um, there is opportunity for real change to happen if we participate in those smaller elections. There's still opportunity for real change to happen if we participate in larger elections too. But um, for me, I can vote locally. What is that like for you as an immigrant in another country? Um, so it's a lot more complicated. Um, I'm sure if you're like a really detail oriented person, it's probably easier than Uh if you're like me, um, (laughs) who (laughs) I, uh, I often will just overlook, um, paperwork type Mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what voting is reduced to is like extra paperwork with like lots of additional deadlines Mm. because it's like, all right, well, if you're in this country, you need to register by this time so they can send it out by this, but you need to expect X number of week delays, which means you must do it by this. And then like you have to, uh, and it's, it's really complicated. Mm. Um, also like some of the rules just kind of don't make any sense Mm. in my opinion. Um, and, and like, Hey, every system has its flaws, but, uh, I will admit that, uh, in the last election, um, I just, I didn't get registered in time Mm -hmm. for, uh, an absentee ballot. Mm. Um, which yeah, is something that I still feel bad about. Um, this time, uh, because of COVID, um, I thought I had missed it again, but it actually turns out, no, I will be able to vote this time. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's not the it's not the full ticket, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've been told says is basically, um, it, you, like, you get to vote for the president. And that's it. <laughs> and, and like, that's that's what I've been told wow. by other um, other people who have done it before. Hmm. That, so there's one American I've met here who she's quite a bit older than me, but she says that she actually flies back to the States every time there's an election so that she can get like the full effect of her vote in. Wow. Um, and so she just has it planned in like, oh, well, Every, you know, four years when there's an election, obviously, like, I fly back. Um, And she just has that planned in as, like, a a trip back to the United States. I am not in a financial position where I could do that. Right. Um, And then also with COVID, like, also, I don't even think I'm legally allowed to do that. Um, (laughs) So it would it's just not possible. Um, So for me, it is a simpler decision between just like presidential vice presidential candidates Mm -hmm. um which party do i want in basically Mm -hmm. um whereas yeah i mean like you said uh it is a lot more nuanced and there are a lot more down ticket votes that can have really big knock-on effects um if you're voting in person Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things i think is good because even if you do write someone in or you choose to spoil your ballot in that way um you can still vote for all the other people and right. still have a massive, you know, say and, you know, hopefully enact some change on a local level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's just something that feels a little bit different to me. Mm-hmm. I remember when the first time I voted um, was just for like a bunch of local stuff. It was like all those down ticket things. But I'll admit <laughs> I was I was a terrible person at the time because I like I was just like I don't know who these people are. I'm just going to choose a person with the coolest name. 
<laughs> and so I just voted for the people with the coolest name. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I'm sorry, Ogallala, Nebraska, for any harm I helped bring your way mm. with such terrible voting practices. I should have been informed, but I wasn't. Mm. I mean, I've done similar things where I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but they're on. When I was voting Republican, I was like, they're on the ticket. So that's who they have an R next to their name. That's who I'm voting for, you know. Um, and it, yeah, it's like it's ill-informed. It's uninformed, really. Um, but I think that I don't know. Almost everyone that I know has done that. And I think it is frustrating because. Um, at least for me and for a lot of the people that I know, the reason that we did that was because it's complicated. Uh, the political system is extremely complicated. And rather than demystifying it for the American public, they just make it as uh, nefarious and confusing as possible. Um, and I like that just seems to be the way that things go. Um, but given that you are going to be, you know, voting pretty much for president, um, and, and that's just about the only, you know, the only thing that, that is on your ticket or your ballot, um, for you. And I've talked about this with a couple of other people, you know, outside of the podcast. So for some people, it seems to be a really major deal who the vice president is, who, who Biden's VP pick is. Um, and they're, you know, sort of viewpoint is like, okay, Biden's an old dude. Uh, if he dies partway through pres through the presidency, then the VP is going to take over and we really need it to be somebody good. And even if he doesn't die, then the VP is going to like be an influence on him and is going to like hopefully advocate for change and is going to be, you know, like a, a, a voice in the president's ear. Um, so I can see that to a certain degree, but at the same time, like, well, what if he just doesn't listen to that voice, especially if it's a woman um, whom he's already shown to disrespect completely and yeah. who he's also said that his VP pick will be a woman. So what is that like? Does that bear? Does it have any factor or bearing in your decision? I mean, um, I'm hoping to find something that I can like latch some vague hope onto. <laughs> so, yes, yes. In, in that way, yeah. in that like who knows maybe his vp pick will be someone that i have so much respect for or so much hope in that i think wow yeah this person even though they're in this very limited role and they have very little if any power uh hopefully they are so clever so um you know well-intentioned and so passionate that like they're just going to like change the game by being in the room mm. where it happens. Like, mm. hopefully that that's the case. But, like, realistically, like, I don't know if that is the case. Mm -hmm. Like, other than it being, like, historic, if a woman vice president, like, was elected, yeah. um, I don't know what it would do. I mean, Biden is an old guy, and, you know, who knows? Anything could happen. Mm -hmm. But I also look at, like, Mike Pence and... I don't really think he's influenced anything and <laughs> Trump supposedly likes him. Yeah. So it's like, wait, what? Like, mm -hmm. and then I look back and I'm like, yeah, what did Biden really do when Obama was president? I'm like, not sure. He wore aviators and like gave a lot of awkward hugs. I, mm, I yeah. just don't know. Like, yeah, uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, especially with like the debates, Biden talks about a lot of things that like, he says, we, 
you know, when when we were in office and when we, our administration and things like that. Um, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, though. Like, I, I'm not sure that you actually did anything. Um, like you said, like, what did you actually do other than vote for the war in Iraq, um, which was before that? But like, I that's the thing that like springs to mind. That's the only thing that I'm like really aware of that he has done in recent years as you know in a political office in general um yeah it's such a it's such a strange thing to think about and for me like there's also the the dual sort of perspective of like i'm a woman i would love to see a woman like as the vp heck i'd love to see a woman as a president i don't know why the hell we can't get on board with that um yeah but whatever uh okay here we are um but I think one of the things that's really difficult for me, and it, it was something that was frustrating when the Tara Reid allegations came out, is any woman who who accepts or vies for Biden's VP pick is going to be forced to reckon with his history and his treatment of women. It's, and then it becomes particularly problematic if his VP pick is a black woman. Because now she's being placed in this extremely unfair position where she's being required by um, the media. Because we saw it with the Tara Reid allegations. It, his potential VP picks, people who were vying for that position, were being forced to answer for what he did or the allegations that were levied against him. And they're being forced to say like, yes, I believe him, um, or yes, I believe Tara Reid, or like, well, I know Joe and he would never do that. Um, and they're, they're being forced to like choose this hard one side or the other. And that's extremely frustrating because if a woman says like, well, I believe women, then it's like, well, how could you then, you know, accept the VP pick from Biden. Um, or if a woman says like, well, I don't think that he did it, um, and you know, whatever I, these are my reasons, uh, then she's going to be, she, she's going to be demonized for that too. So any woman who accepts the VP pick is going to be like, she's damned if she doesn't, she's damned if she doesn't. And it's extremely frustrating because I feel that a little bit, you know, I'm like, wait a minute. So you're fine with being on the ticket with this guy, even after what he's done, even after what he's said, um, and I, I don't know, that kind of makes me like, mm, like squint my eyes a little bit at you. Like, I don't know if you're actually like, are you just playing the game and are you going to mm. change anything? Because women can be misogynist too. Um, yep. So are you just playing the game and are you just doing it to get into a position of power for yourself? Um, so it's confusing. Uh, like part of me thinks, oh yeah, the VP pick should matter to me. And then the other part of me is like, no, nah, it doesn't matter. Because either she's going to be forced into impossible situations where she has to make a decision to save her career or herself or her dignity, or she's actually fine with everything. And the outcome is the same either way. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Basically, anything bad from this is just going to stick to her, and she's going to be the one who takes the blame. Like, you have a conversation with 
you know, anybody who objects to Biden once he has a VP, um, any any of the allegations or issues, you know, that you might raise, they're immediately going to say, oh, yeah, well, but so-and-so, Kamala Harris was fine with it. Yeah, exactly. Tulsi was fine with it. Yeah. Like, whoever it might be, yeah. they're going to say, like, oh, well, they're fine with it. Yeah. And they're going to immediately then decenter the conversation from, like, oh, wow, there was, like, a rape victim, mm. and recenter it around, ooh, well, look at this person. Aren't they so bad for, you know, siding against a rape victim? Mm. And you're just like, wait, what? Like, yep. you are like, oh, gosh, this yeah. is really awful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely get what you mean. And, man, like, I don't know. It's just, it's all, it's a strange place we find ourselves in (laughs) although you know i I really do wonder even though it's been said oh yeah i'll definitely choose a woman like so much of joe biden is like politics as usual Mm -hmm. so i would not be surprised if it was just like another white dude yeah i seriously have (laughs) thought the same thing who knows yeah yeah i mean it is it's a boys club he he is in the boys club like really and truly like he's practically in charge of the boys club um <laughs> he is the boys club it's just like yeah I, I would not be surprised if he was like actually i've changed my mind and none of these women are a great choice and so we're actually gonna choose a dude um and you know it makes me think of elizabeth warren when someone said um did sexism play a part in like the fact that you didn't you know that you don't have enough support and that you're stepping down and you're you're leaving you know sort of stepping down from the race and she was like what do you expect me to say to that essentially she said if i say um yes sexism played a part in this everyone is going to freak out and be like well what's your proof and you know how do you know that and how dare you play that card and whatever and she said, and if I say sexism doesn't, didn't play a role in this, every woman in America is going to look at me and go, what planet are you on? Like, yeah. where have you been? Um, and so I think that, yeah, like something, uh, like it's, it's going to be a mess. Um, and the only thing I can think is that like ha- by having conversations like these, hopefully over time, will at least cause people to, will at least cause ourselves to like think and self-examine and be introspective. But maybe by sharing stories, you know, by you sharing stories like yours, by me sharing stories like mine and by others um, sharing their stories, maybe people will start to think differently and, and start to see these issues with a face instead of um, as just, you know, words on paper. Absolutely, because I think uh, as someone, so again, because um, because I have an unusual uh, upbringing, mm. like my life story is very dramatic, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then I became a Christian. Um, <laughs> I, I bet Christians I, love that. I've been asked to sort of tell my life story literally like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, yeah. because people are like, oh, it's so uplifting, it's so empowering. Mm. Um but one of the things that I became really deeply uncomfortable with um, very, very soon into sort of telling my life story on, you know, mass was mm-hmm. uh, people would say, oh, I'm so sorry that your mother was so terrible. Mm. I'm so sorry that you had to have such a, an awful mother. 
Oh, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how a mother could do anything like that to a child and all of these things. And and again, like I'm someone who literally like I wanted my mom to be murdered mm-hmm. or die in a car crash. Like there were times I thought she was going to kill me. There were there were like lots of like scary moments, pretty much every bad thing you could possibly imagine like happening did and, and like even still like i can't stand there and be like well yeah she was just a terrible person Hmm. like what i found myself saying more and more and moving it like from you know when people would say that at the end and me being like well you know i think maybe if you knew more about her life you would understand how difficult she had it and how impossible her situation was to sort of like starting with that and saying like listen before I tell you my life story, you need to know about my mom's life and Mm. you need to just like, don't make her the villain right Right. away. Right. Like, because that's what we want to do. We want to go, Ooh, good. Ooh, bad. Okay. Well now that everything's sorted, then like, we don't need to think about this anymore Mm -hmm. when really it's like, well, yes, I understand that my mom was uh, a neglectful mother, an abusive mother in many ways. Um, She was a terrible mother in a ton of ways. But I have made peace with what she has done to me. Mm-hmm. And I have then looked not just at myself with compassion, but I've looked back at her with compassion and just realized all the stuff she went through, the ways that mm-hmm. she was serially, physically, sexually, emotionally, psychologically abused growing up, and then was sex trafficked, and then was beaten shot at raped all of this stuff and like just none of that ever stopped in her life it always continued and like through it all no matter what like she did everything she could she like moved heaven and earth to you know feed us even if it was just like spam and tinned peas or something um to you know find a, a place Um, for us to live and and she did all of this in the midst of like clinical depression bipolar disorder like like soul crushing addiction to like every possible drug known to man Mm. like and and just thinking that i suppose to bring it full circle um like she is sort of descended from this long line of people who for pretty much like the last 400 years have just gotten the shortest end of like the tiniest thing you could possibly call a stick Mm. over and over and over and over and a lot of people look at her and they see a villain and they see someone who is weak and pathetic and just oh why don't you just kill yourself and it's like well you know my mom tried committing suicide more than anyone i've ever met it's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times to the point where um the last time i remember her trying to commit suicide when we were still living together Mm -hmm. like i literally just was like again Mm. and walked away Mm. like that was and i just left her on the floor and like that was just so normal Mm -hmm. and a lot of people look at that and that's what they see and I suppose more and more as I reflect on it and I look look at the situation she was in I'm like man I see someone who did a lot of bad things who was incredibly broken but 
I don't know if I'm as strong as, as I don't know if I'll ever be as strong as she was mm-hmm. because in the midst of like all of these things that that most people are just completely destroyed by she somehow survived and she's somehow with no education and no support and no one fighting in her corner ever somehow like figured out ways to like outsmart all of the systems designed against her and, and like survived and people yeah. are like oh well i don't want to just survive i want to thrive mm. and i get that but it's like i don't know when you're put in the sort of position she did like she was put in i'm like how how can you think of anything other than survival yeah. like survival is the pipe dream in that scenario Absolutely. in that power dynamic yeah. and looking at you know who she is and and last i heard most recent update is that like She's still, like, on drugs, living on the streets, still really struggling. But, like, I'm amazed. Like, how is she even alive right now? Right. Like, that makes no sense. She's Mm. defied every odd out there. Mm. And I think I have more reason than anybody else to think, oh, she's the villain. And, like, I don't know. Somehow I've found peace with it to say, like, listen – I don't think every victim of abuse needs to, you know, find this compassion for their abuser. But for me, that has been the case. Like, I see my mom very honestly, very clearly for who and what she is. But I think in doing that, I have to acknowledge that there's a lot of strength and a lot of resiliency um, in her. And that's something that I can try to celebrate. I can try to um, associate with with my people and my history and try to pass down to my children. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think that is a great note to wrap up on. And with that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing so honestly and so openly and being willing to have tough conversations. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, um if anybody wants to locate your work or, you know, um, be a part of anything that you're doing, supporting you, anything like that, where can they find you? Um, so the easiest place is Instagram. So it's just at Chris Campbell on Instagram. Um, also Chris Campbell.com, Chris Campbell um, any of the places you'll find me, we'll have links to everywhere else. So okay. It's pretty easy. Okay. Sounds good. Join us next week as we talk political engagement from the perspective of deconstructing and decolonizing faith. You've been listening to 99 Lead Balloons, honest talk about shit society ignores. Special thanks to my guest, Chris Campbell, for joining me. For more information on projects Chris is involved with, follow him on Instagram at Chris Campbell. Links to studies referenced are available in the liner notes. Creative and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.